Welcome to the Mind Talk Podcast. You are here with myself, Nathan, and my co-host, Edwin. Today we have another special guest, and this one is going to be an interesting one. We have a mental health empowerment speaker. They are a former athlete and the founder of Athletes Mind Matter. This one is really, really going to be an interesting one for all you listeners out there due to the journey of this individual. Without further ado, I now would like to introduce to you our guest, Miss Ivy Watts. It's a pleasure having you on. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. How, how are you doing? For myself, I'm very, very happy. Um, it's good to, to have you on. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm, glad, I'm glad to have you on. We've been looking forward to this. We certainly have. So um, you are a mental health empowerment speaker. You are a former athlete. So we've got a lot to unpack. But I want to start off with something that I saw on your Instagram. It was a really, really nice quote. And I just really want you to just tell the listeners what, what this means to you. So it reads, be gentle with yourself. You've gone through a lot. You are worthy of the same compassion you give to others. That is beautiful. What does that mean to you? Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for choosing that quote. Um, I think when we think about how often we are so easily able to help other people or we're giving other people advice around mental health, relationships, whatever it might be, a lot of times we kind of neglect giving that to ourselves because we think that what we're going through isn't important or that we should suck it up. And so we often will like minimalize our feelings and say that someone else who might be dealing with the exact same issue is, is worthy of that love, but we aren't. And so a lot of times we have that negative dialogue with ourselves, but with that quote, really just showing you that you are worthy of that love, that compassion that you give to other people. And you, you have to start with yourself. You have to recognize that you have gone through a lot. You know, you've gone through a lot with just a pandemic if you just want to start there. And then there's so many other things that yeah. you might think are insignificant, but that they're important. If they bothered you or if they're hurting your mental health, if they're causing you trauma, they're important. And so recognizing that, acknowledging those feelings is really one of the first steps to take there and then giving yourself that compassion, giving yourself that grace and asking yourself what you need to, to work through. And that's going to allow you to then be your best self for others that you're giving that love and compassion to. So that's where that quote really stems from is, is learning to love yourself and accept what you've gone through. And um, let's take it all the way back, your introduction to sport. So um, what was your first memory of um, a sport? My first memory of a sport. <laughs> um, so my parents put me in all different sports growing up. Um, I wasn't good at many of them. Uh, <laughs> I was I was always just really fast, but I have like no hand-eye coordination whatsoever. Um, so this might not be my first memory, but it's the funniest, is that I played baseball when I was younger yeah. Yeah. and I was terrible. But uh, I would literally like let the ball like physically hit me so that I could run around the bases. Like I would get the ball and like run around the bases. Um, and there was one time the ball like hit me in the head, and I was like, I was so happy about it. Oh wow! <laughs> I run like I was like, yes, I got hit. Like I can run around. Um, so yeah, that's like my memory. But needless to say, I was a track athlete through and through. Like, don't put me in other things. <laughs> so so from doing that, did. 
did your parents start to realize, wait a minute, she might not be great at most school, but she's pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, I think they realized that and many other people realized that too. Um, and they did put me in track when I was eight years old. So they kind of like let me choose what I wanted to do and what I was good at, but they did learn early on. Yeah. How was the impact? And talk about your um, the impact of your parents, um, you know, whilst participating in sports. Yeah, so my parents were really supportive uh, with sports. They showed up to every game, every meet when I did run track throughout my entire high school and collegiate career. And that came to mean a lot to me, um, especially I, I went to school in Connecticut, but grew up in Massachusetts. So they traveled quite a bit. And of course, like there was some further out that they couldn't come to, but yeah just having them even come to like nationals that was in like Alabama or California and for them to make that trip to come out and have that support um, was always really huge. And I think communicated to me that um, they cared about my success, but they also cared about celebrating the the wins and the losses and being there um, for me throughout all of that. So their support was huge from when I was little all through college with sports. Okay. And at what age did they decide to put you into club? Was it was it a club or was it through school? How, how, how did you first get into track? Yeah, so it was first through a, a club called Waltham Track Club. And so that started when I was eight. And I did that all through middle school, um, actually through high school. Um, but I, I started competing for my high school track team in high school. Um, so I was exposed. I was competing with the Waltham Track Club because we would travel for Junior Olympics. So that's kind of where the, the traveling started. Um, and then high school um, and college as well was at a Division two school in Connecticut. With regards to your parents, so uh, my first memory and my only memory is my mum coming to one of my sports days. I was running the second leg in a four-by-one relay, and I think it was probably the fastest leg that I've ever done in my life. Would you say um, your parents had an impact on your overall performance? Did it really help you with your, your, your mindset, the psychology on the day of um, your actual events? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, so I struggled a lot with my mental health as an athlete. And so I uh, often associated like things with my performance. So I often like if I didn't see my parents there before my race is about to start, I started having like a lot of anxiety that I wasn't going to like perform well, because that was like my kind of superstition around it all. Yeah. Um, but somehow, some way, my parents like always showed up like right before I was about to get onto the line in the blocks. And I would always hear my mom like cheering, like, go Ivy. And like, I just like knew like that was the key. Yeah. But I do think that there was a correlation. I think like even just hearing my parents cheering during a, a race, like I think that that did prompts me a lot to perform better. And you just, you just have that comfort factor with your family. So just having that, I think did draw away some of that anxiety, gave me this like sense of calm and now being like in post collegiate athletics, like I've done some like 5k runs and things like that. And it was, it's like the same kind of thing. Like my parents will come and support and they'll show up right before they're about to send us off. And I hear her and it just brings me back, right. Yeah. Like that calming feeling. I think people sometimes underestimate how important the support from either your family, your friends, and how it can push you over the line, literally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely can help. It definitely can help. I mean, I think it can add pressure too, but I think it can also help you um, to just feel more at ease um, and, and have that extra push and run the fastest leg of the four by one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> What, at what point did you realize, you know what, I'm, I'm quite fast. 
Because people people get into trap and they don't really understand how quick they are until they're in a race and they think, okay, I'm actually beating all these people. But at what point did you realize that? Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's like a key point. The one thing I'm like remembering is that I had a principal in middle school who I was like just running around, not for track, but just kind of running around in the front of the school. And he was like, oh, you're really, really fast. And I feel like that's my first memory of being like, oh, like maybe I am. Um, and I did always do pretty well. I mean, I didn't always necessarily win, but I always like would perform um, and improve and get yeah. um, PRs. So that was always really a good reminder too. And I think just in college, like just being able to see the progression of like being in high school and like being stuck at a time. Like I remember I was always trying to break 60 seconds in the 400 and then in college yeah. being able to run 54 seconds and like just, you know, with, like, within a couple of years and like the coaching and learning techniques and things like that. So I don't know if there's like a single point, but I do know that like I, I was able to see the progression. You know, the fact that you did 400 meters is just perfect because um, there's so many questions. I think one of the questions is how do you mentally control yourself from just speeding off? Because I remember when I used to do it, <laughs> the first 200 meters, I would sprint off and then come to come 300 meters. I've literally got no energy left. And you just seen people just run past me and then I end up finishing fifth or sixth. So how do you mentally, yeah. how do you mentally um, just prepare yourself not to go too fast, but to really pace yourself? Yeah, no, it's a really, really good point. And I think a lot of that goes into like the, the coaching around it as well. Um, so there's a method to it, right? You can, if you're a really great strength runner, you can get out there super fast and hold on to that speed. Um, but not everyone has that, right? And yeah. so there's like the four P's of the 400, which I think also like really correlates to life, but maybe yeah. this is just because I'm a track athlete. But the first phase is the push phase. So you do get out strong, you are sprinting, but then on the back stretch, so we're on an outdoor track right now, that back stretch is your, is your pace phase. Mm. So you're just, you're like, my coach used to always say you're trusting the speed that you built up. Yeah. So it might feel like you slowed down significantly, but you're really just, you're holding on to that speed, but you're doing it more effortlessly. Yeah. Like you're focusing on your form and then you're coming around the back stress stretch. Um, and I always forget this third P, um, but there's another P <laughs> if you know, it, let me know. Um, and then, so you're, you're kind of there outside position. So now this is where you can start seeing the stagger of where you're actually positioned uh, in the race. And so here, like things are starting to hurt <laughs> and you're, you're really having to focus on your form. And then the last part is really what they call just praying because at that point, your body is taxed out. You're technically not supposed to run that fast for that long. Um, but at that point, it really is trusting your training, trusting the, what you built up that last 300 meters, 350 meters, and really just focusing on your form. I think, at that point, our mental state can start running too of like, oh, um, you know, this person's about to pass me. I can feel them on me. And then we might get into our heads and that only negatively impacts us on that last piece when you need to be praying and focusing yeah. on form and having that positive mindset. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a method to it of getting out hard, but then trusting what you've built up and then keeping that positive mindset throughout, um, which is something I was not the greatest at, but um, that, that's the science right behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, out of all the sprint events, what made you decide to pick the four instead of maybe the two or the one? Yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like I chose the four. Um, I was in, in high school, I ran the 200 and the 100 a lot. And I think my coaches just recognized that, 
I was fast, but I was a strength sprinter. So I was more of a four, eight runner than I would have ever been a one, two runner. And I think I actually probably would have done better at the 800 than I did the 400 because I didn't have like that super fast twitch at the end that others had. Um, And I think I would have done better in the eight, but you know, can't go back in the the past and I'm not running again. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, um, the 400 was kind of like given to me based off of what my coaches saw in my abilities. Okay. Um, in terms of the transition, so I guess either you can take it back or maybe slightly further um, from your first experience. Can you talk about a transition of joining a new team and, the, you know, just how did you get yourself to blend in and, you know, I guess become part of the, the team? Yeah, definitely. I think any transition can be really hard. Um, change can be really hard. It can be scary and you don't know what to expect. Going into my college team was something that was really, really um, fearful for me. Going to a new state, leaving my family, like all of these transitionings happening at once was really overwhelming. But I think the, the really big thing for anyone making a transition is to like find your people. So like knowing who you are, I think is really, really important. Like knowing what you like, like whatever activity you like and like finding those people who like those things as well. And I think when you make those transitions, if you can even find like one person that you can really like click with on any level and then being able to like have that relationship with them outside of your sport, I think can be really beneficial, especially if you're struggling with other pieces of your life, then you have that one person. So I would say that the transition's not necessarily easy, but knowing who you are and what you bring to the table and, and what you like and like finding people who associate with some of those things as well. And, you know, hopefully the coaches have created a space where there's like opportunity for team bonding for you to meet those people, or maybe you've done like a, a tour of the school before and got to meet the team, um, whether yeah. that's high school or college or professional, but may, hopefully you've had that opportunity to meet those people and get a feel of like, who do I really um, meld well with here and who can I make that relationship with? Mm. And that just helps the transition to just have that person there with you. Yeah. And with, with the team, um, did they have an impact on your race day? If you, if you saw a lot of the team around, did it, did it motivate you to, to run well? With my team? Yeah. Yeah. So my team, it was really motivating for like the races uh, with the relays. So like the four by four, um, four by two, that was really motivating. I think Um, we also had like a pretty good team culture in terms of like keeping each other um, accountable and trying to have like motivational cheers before we got onto the line and things like that. Um, Just kind of wishing each other good luck before. I think that was definitely really helpful. Um, But I think we often also read off of each other's body language. So if one person didn't perform well, at least for myself, I would often get into my own head about me thinking about my own performance that was about to happen. And then again, like that negative self-talk we were talking about that can be, you know, detrimental to your performance. Um, So I do think it was helpful. I do think it was positive. And in those relays, like really feeding off each other, uh, when you see your teammate coming in fast and they're in first and second place and you know that you have to hold on to that position, like that's mm-hmm. like a really, really, really um, just exciting and like liberating feeling to like take that baton and start running. And then it's actually even more better when you pass it off to the next <laughs> you know, <laughs> or when you cross the finish line. So um, that definitely was, it was an awesome experience. That's, that's probably why in, in relays you see some people run a lot quicker than they would I mean, in a, 400 meter flat race. Yeah. Yeah. And that was like a hundred percent my life. I like struggled to meet particular times on my own, but I would always run them. 
that time that I wanted to run in the four by 400. And I think it's so true. Like you're feeding off of other people's um, energy and you just kind of feel more held accountable. I think with track specifically, because it's such an individual sport, like it weighs so heavily on you. It's not like if you make a mistake in your race that someone else is going to be able to pick up the slack as if, as if they would in a different sport. Like when you make that mistake, it's, it's you made that mistake and you kind of have to work through that within yourself to keep pushing forward. But I think with a relay, like if you do make a mistake, as long as you're not the last leg, there is someone else to kind of like pick it up. So I feel like that the mental state of having that support, that yeah. teamwork around it just makes you just perform better and feel more secure in yourself. And that's really what happened for me. And like you said, it probably happens for a lot of people. They just might not express it. Well, continuing on. Um with team how important is team cohesion because i look at athletics and essentially you're part of a club but essentially you are running against everybody you are in competition with everybody so just removing yourself away from the fact that you are um, competing against everybody else how important is team cohesion Mm -hmm. i think it's i think it's so important to have team cohesion i think that if there's Anytime that there's like drama or issues on the team, it does impact how you practice together and then how you compete together. So I think that a positive team culture creates a positive culture within yourself, feeling good about yourself, feeling good about your teammates and them supporting you. Because if you feel like there's a negative team culture and your teammates don't support you, then that's going to weigh negatively on you. and, And that then can weigh negatively on how you view yourself, how you carry yourself, how you perform. So Obviously, teams are going to have ebbs and flows. Everyone has different personalities. It's going yeah. to some some weeks are going to be great. Some meets are going to be great, and others, everyone's going to be all over the place and angry with each other. Yeah. Um, but I think what's really powerful is to have like a strong foundation of a of a positive culture where people value each other. That even though we had this rough week, month, day, mm. we can come back together mm. and, and start start fresh and figure out how we can move forward from here. And I think that plays a really critical role when you get into some of those like big meets like conference and nationals and, you know, new England's that we had out here and like where there's points that matter and you want to get the trophy and the awards at the end. Um, it's important to have that culture built when you're competing at some of those smaller meets that are important, of course, yeah, yeah. but they don't weigh as heavily as the bigger ones do. So let's, let's talk about race day, race day, the warming up for a race. What's the type of things that go through your mind as you prepare for a race? So for me, and this probably isn't like the best thing to share with viewers in terms of like tips. Um, but for me, I, I did not have positive self-talk at all. Um, I kind of had this like cycle within me where I was saying, you know, I've done this work for the past X amount of time. Like I should be prepared. But then it was like this little voice in the back of my head that became a big voice that took over and would say like, but you're not good enough to do this. And, you know, you're not going to perform well. And, but I have to run this particular time. I can't let my coach down. I can't, you know, be a failure. And so these like negative, vicious, anxious thoughts were what was taking over and, Unfortunately for me, I struggled with like expressing that to anybody that I was feeling that way. And so it would build upon each other. So I would warm up, I would compete, I would compete fine because as I mentioned, like I was just naturally a fast athlete, but I could have competed better with that positive self-talk. And so then it's like this cycle. I'm, I'm frustrated with myself that I didn't perform well. 
And then to the next meet, I'm, I'm going through, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I didn't perform well last time, but I want to do better. But then it was still like this, this negative talk that, that kept me from running to the best of my ability. And so, you know, getting warming up, I tried to kind of just go through the motions, motions, but when I was in the blocks, that was when it was the absolute worst of like just shaking to the point that like, I felt like I was going to fall out of the blocks and false start. Um, and then once the gun goes off, like some of those feelings go away, but it's cause you're so like, you know, the endorphins, like, they're finally able to like, you know, come out and then, they would, those voices would still come back towards the end of the race when I was tired and I could now think, yeah. you know? So, uh, unfortunately wasn't so positive with myself, but I've, I've learned the power of being positive with yourself and how that can really impact in a positive way, your performance. Interestingly, you hear some people, not necessarily in sports, but in other fields where they say sometimes there's a way where you can cultivate that fear to help you and um, perform you know, at a better level, would you say that there was so much anxiety um, before your your match, your races, that it actually, in some cases, was more of a detriment than it actually um, of a benefit? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I think there was so much anxiety and there was so much pressure, but a lot of that pressure stems from me. And so, like, I walked in day one, my coach said, okay, I want you to run 54 seconds in the 400. I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And so that pressure was there, but then I internalized that of, okay, running that means I'm perfect. If I'm perfect, then I'll have that external validation. If I had that external validation, then I'll, you know, it just becomes a cycle. Yeah. Um, and so the, the pressure that I put on myself to meet these standards, to not be a failure became so overwhelming yeah. to the point, like I said, I'm like in the blocks shaking. Like it's like this crippling feeling that I, I couldn't shake. Like I just didn't know that there was an, an, a different option for me to, to not have those feelings. Like we never talked about anxiety and how it can impact you negatively in your sport. Yeah. Um, and so I just felt like this is just how it is. And like, I, I'm just, this is just status quo and this is just how I'm going to perform and I'll do really well in a relay, but I won't do well on my own. Um, so I do think that that neg the anxiety really did negatively impact me and yeah. unfortunately led me to struggle with a lot of mental health issues after college because that anxiety kept me from reaching those goals. So in turn, um, you know, all of the things I had thought from the beginning of failure, external validation, not having that, you know, not being perfect stemmed into my life after college. Yeah. Um, so I do think that there's a space where we can break that cycle yeah. and recognize that it doesn't have to always be negative and that we can implement positivity. There's going to be negativity. We can implement positivity into that cycle and that can really set us up to work through the, the struggles that we have that are unrelated to sports in the future. Yeah. And with, with the, everything that went on uh, mentally with you when you were competing, at what point did you decide, okay, with my struggles, I can help other people? Yeah, it's a great question. So after college, I struggled for a couple of years. I felt like I had lost my identity as an athlete. I'd you know, been doing this forever and struggled a lot with depression, um, struggled with, th with thoughts of not wanting to be on this earth anymore and was in this really tough relationship. And I was finally able to get help for myself. Um, a friend had mentioned how she was struggling and getting help through therapy. And that was huge for me to really break down the stigma that I grew up believing. And for the first time, finally have like a real conversation around mental health and 
for me to want that too, for me to figure out how I could get the help that she was getting. And so once I finally started getting help and started practicing positivity and self-love and, and recognizing that for myself, I really wanted to figure out how I could help other athletes to feel the same because, you know, for struggling for so many years in silence, it's, it's overwhelming. It's exhausting. And to feel like you have no outlets is, it makes it even worse. And I, I really want to change that dynamic that we are not alone and that there's always, always a resource to reach out to. And it might seem scary because a coach wants you to perform well and wants to hit certain standards and win certain games. But like, we have to take care of ourselves first. We have to recognize that we're a person first with a mind that needs to be nurtured before we're an athlete. And, and that's really, really critical. So I really wanted to, to break down those barriers and to empower athletes to know that they could get help and that there is no shame in getting that help um, and that there are resources that exist. And so I spent the last couple of years sharing my story, sharing tools for self-care and mental wellness for, for athletes to use on and off the field um, and really helping them to take that next step for their mental wellness, whatever that looks like. So if that's therapy, if that's self-care, if that's talking to a coach, that's taking a day off, um, just being patient with yourself during that process and knowing that you're going to have good and bad performances, but that doesn't make you any less of a person. It still makes you worthy and good enough. And so, yeah, I just think that like, even though it was really scary for me to start sharing my story, it was, I always say that my passion speaks louder than my fears and that similar to track, like it was always really scary, but you know, I, at the time showed up to the best of what I could at that moment. And so that's really what I strive to do now is, is to show up to the best as I can, knowing that some days I'm going to struggle and that I can just bring that vulnerability to the students that I'm talking to, to, to continue to break down those, those walls. So, yeah. I love when people, you know, share their own personal stories because, you know, it hits hard the most. It's um, very authentic, but you know, sometimes when you leave and you, and you finish listening, you always ask yourself, how, like, how do, how did they come to that decision that they are going to share with the masses? So I guess my, my, my next question would be, how did you move from, you know, suffering in silence, as you say, to actually having the ability to to share in front of an audience? Talk to us about that process. Yeah, definitely. So the very first time that I was invited to speak was before I was even ready to to openly share about my story. Yeah. Um, and so at my college, one of our coaches who I um, didn't really meet, he had unfortunately died by suicide. And so my coaches knew that I had a degree in psychology, which I always think is funny because I'm like learning about psychology and like not applying it to my own life um, at all. And not thinking like I was someone who could struggle. Like I never really made the connection, Um, but they knew I had that background. um, And so they knew I had mental health first aid training. And so I had been asked to come and to speak to the students just on suicide prevention and to kind of like work through the grief that they were having. And so I did, I came and did like a very structured presentation um, and, you know, made some kind of impact, but didn't share about my own struggle at all. And so I started thinking, you know, how can I do this, but also add in my story to add an additional impact, right? To add that vulnerability to it. Um, And so that's when I started my blog, Beautifully Simply You. And so the blog was great. You know, it was first time sharing about my story, but it's like my family was reading it, you know, which is fine. Um, but I wanted to expand and, and work with more. So 
you know, it was honestly really terrifying. I hated public speaking for most of my life. Like my mom used to force me to take public speaking classes. And I was like, I will never use this. Why do I have to do this? Um, But I, again, like my, my passion spoke louder than my fear. And I just wanted to, I just really wanted to break the stigma that kept me back for so long. I think about if I had gotten help, if I had had someone come in and tell their story when I was in college or high school, would I have gotten help sooner? You know, probably. Um, and so I think that that's for me is just so powerful. And I just started speaking in small groups and then it became larger and larger and larger. And, you know, now it's, it's, a, it's a lot less scary. And I think the scariest part for me now is just like trying to continuously have myself be vulnerable about the struggles that I'm having every day and not say like, Oh, I'm a fraud because I'm a mental health speaker telling you to love yourself. If I'm not loving myself, yeah. but no, just like acknowledging that that's part of the journey. I think in life, sometimes we don't realize the importance of, of people speaking. Just you don't know what someone else is going through. Sometimes they just need to hear that someone else has been through those problems and know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like you can get through this. Like it's tough right now, but you're only building in tools for strength for the future too. And so just holding on to that hope is is critical for sure. Yeah. And with with some of the people that you work with, do, do you ever come across people that are exactly how you used to be? or And do you also come across people that are how you used to be, but it seems like it's a lot harder to get into their, into their minds? Oh, yeah, 100%. Both, both of those people, for sure. And there's some people who are like ready and receptive and, and hear it and then kind of go and make changes. And there's others that are just not there yet. And I think that that's okay. I think everyone's on their different kind of path of, of their working through anxiety and performance and, and self-care. And I think even just to hear the message, even if you're not yet ready to apply it, is huge. Like if you hear it today, maybe this time next year, you'll think about this time that I have with you or that a coach said something to you and, and you'll want to try it. And maybe that will really help you in all areas of your life. And so I think that that's, it's huge just to recognize that, that everyone's in a different space, but hundred percent. There's so many athletes that are struggling um, with, with the feelings of not good enough with struggling with that pressure and the expectations and yeah. not knowing how to work through that. They're struggling with not performing well and then hating themselves because of that. And then it only makes them perform worse in the future. Um, and so that struggle is real. And I think the more that we talk about it, the more we bring awareness to it, the more that student athletes feel less alone um, in their struggle, the, the more changes we can make so that they can, start making the changes internally for themselves. So I think the, the thing now you've just said that one of the things that really um, brought it back was your excellent relationship with your parents and the impact they had on you. So the next question would be, would you say or have you had clients where it's been the opposite, where actually a lot of their negativity or their their mental health problems um, is a better, I guess, phrase. Um, problems have stemmed from maybe um, their parents or their family background. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think parents also can put a lot of pressure on their kids. Um, and I and I think it, you know, it all comes from love and wanting wanting their child to succeed. But it, depending on how that particular athlete, that particular person 
perceives that and then internalizes it, it, it impacts them differently. So I, yeah. I say this to parents and to coaches is that like, you can yell at one athlete in their face and, and tell them like, you know, you, you got to suck it up. you got to perform better. And, and they will like, they'll take that and they'll run with it and they'll do great. And you say it to another athlete, you think it's going to work for them. And it, it's debilitating and it, it, yeah. it cr- like they, they crumble under that. So it, it's really about recognizing like that, that athlete, that child that you're talking to and recognizing, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, it's just more work on your part. But like having to have that individualized approach, I think, is key. Um, so for a parent, I think they can add a lot of pressure for, for their child and it can be uh, positive pressure, but it also can be negative pressure where they feel like now I'm letting my coach, my parents, my teammates, all these people down. Um, and I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm always going to be a failure. And so I think that there has to be a fine line between where we have like that tough love, but we're also follow up with conversations yeah. around like, you know, if that was hurtful for you, please let me know. And how is, how can we best approach these situations in the future so that I can best support you as my child, as an athlete, as a human, um, and that we can still help you to reach the goals you have for yourself. Yeah. Because I think when there's like these constant messages from your coaches, your teammates, your parents, that you have to hit these standards, you be- begin to put your self-worth with those standards. And so then when you don't hit them, that's when you feel unworthy. So I think those follow-up questions, those follow-up conversations are critical to be able to say, you know, despite you not, you know, performing to the best of, or performing to the way that you wanted to yeah. at that particular competition, you are still worthy. And like, let's talk about it. I think that's the difference. Like that pressure is always going to be there. Yeah. I think it's the conversations that we have afterwards that make the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that pressure for, for yourself? Do you believe that pressure came from what your coaches were saying to you or do you believe it came from yourself? I think it was a little bit of both. I think I've always had a perfectionist mindset from when I was a little girl. So I always put a lot of pressure on myself. I still put pressure on myself. I just have Mm. tools now. But yeah, I think that it came from both. Um, It came from my parents too. I mean, they, you know, they, they kind of had that same, um, you know, pushing me mentality, but they didn't, I think, again, kind of going back to everyone having different uh, personalities with that, but like, they pushed me with like positive reinforcement, which I craved. Like I, I craved that external validation. And so like I needed that. So it's just like a lot of it was internally of like what I needed to make myself feel good. And that's where I think a lot of it stems from, you know, for no fault of everyone else. I think, again, that pressure is going to be there. If you, if you start a new job, your boss is going to expect you to do things like that pressure is there, but it's like that internal uh, perception of it or external perception of it that impacts people I think when I'm watching sports on TV I always and there's always a discussion there's always some form of conflict between coach and player and it always seems like whenever it's um, you know an ex-professional talking they always talk about the shift in how this generation are not as so to speak not as hard as they were and you know things have to they almost have to be uh, you know mollycoddled would you say that that is actually accurate or would you just say actually um it's a little bit more multifaceted and more varied in that kind of assessment yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say that um the this generation or these athletes are, are less hard i are less motivated or anything yeah. like that i I just think that we're getting to the space where we're accepting feelings more and people are feeling more comfortable with sharing them. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, 
And so, no, it's not that you're soft. It's that you're a human and that you're allowed to cry. You're allowed to have bad days. Like you're allowed to just feel terrible and like, that's okay. You're also allowed to feel really, really happy Um, and everywhere in between. So I think that that's the difference is that we're getting to a better space around conversations with mental health. So people are are great, uh, you know, great, gratefully so starting to feel more um, comfortable with sharing those emotions. And um, just let's talk about a little bit about anxiety. So when you were competing, you suffered from anxiety um, before a race. Would you give to any athlete that's listening now in terms of trying to handle their anxiety and their emotions just before competing for a race? Yeah, the the big thing I would say is to find like your strength word or your um, phrase of positivity that really helps you to feel good. So that that work has to happen before a competition, before um, you're out there on the field or the track or whatever it is, is you have to identify what that is for you. So like for me right now, like my affirmations are always, I am worthy, I am capable, I am good enough. Like those are my three. I say them at every presentation I do. I say them to myself all the time. So like finding what it is for you that like uplifts you and like makes you feel good about yourself um, and that you can bring yourself back to. And when you're out there before the competition, you like getting really anxious, come back to those statements and like just take a moment, pause, be with those statements and then keep moving forward. I think it's about like pushing out, well, acknowledging those negative feelings, gently pushing them out and then putting in those those strength words um, or phrases. And I think that it does a huge impact on rewiring your brain. Like your brain truly does believe what you're saying to it. So I would say, choose to be positive, you know, in a world that really encourages you to be negative, I would say, choose to be positive. How can we, so how can we support our friends who may, you know, suffer from anxiety? In fact, going back, are there any, I guess, um, any signs that maybe we may be able to pick up that our friends may be suffering from anxiety? And if we can pick up those from those signs, um, how can we support them? Yeah, I think if you ever have a friend that is withdrawn or not acting like themselves or just really overwhelmed, maybe they're kind of spending a lot of time on their own um, and they're, they're typically you know, out and about with you and friends, um, if they have been just kind of really sad or overwhelmed, um, if they haven't been eating a lot or eating too much or sleeping too much or not sleeping a lot, um, all of those are really big warning signs that I think we can see. A lot of times we want, we might not be able to see someone who's having a mental breakdown behind their, their doors. Yeah. Um, they might not tell us about it, but if you like, I always say to people that if you notice anything different, like that is cause enough for concern to check in and you don't have to be a mental health professional. You can just simply check in and say, Hey, how are you doing? I haven't heard from you in a while. Just wanted to check in if everything's okay. And like just providing that space for a conversation and letting them know that if you ever want to talk about anything, like I'm here for you. And I think also just being open about your own struggle. Like maybe it's the pandemic and you're saying like, I'm just really struggling right now with all of the things that I've lost because of the pandemic and just wanted to let you know that. So if you're struggling, know that I'm a safe space. I'll be here for you just to, just to listen. And I, we don't have to do anything about it. We can just listen. I'll just listen to you. And I think that's all that sometimes we just want to be heard. We just want someone to just be there and and listen and provide that space. So I think just create that space by checking in, knowing that if you just notice a little bit, something different, a post that might be a little bit alarming on social media, you can reach out. And I think so many times we're crying for help or like wanting people to reach out and people don't. So I feel like, again, like choosing to be positive, choose to be that person who intervenes and, and makes the difference. Yeah. 
Okay, last question, and this is this question is a question we ask to all our guests. But who were the main athletes that you you looked up to growing up? The main athlete I looked up to growing up was Sonia Richards. Mm-hmm. Now Sonia Richards Ross. Yeah. <laughs> I see right. Nathan, you like yeah. that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sonia Richards. I had her as my screensaver on my computer, and she like had just won um, gold medal, and she was like out reach with her arms far out like that, and. I, I just always remember watching her growing up and just feeling like so motivated, um, wanting to be like her. And, um, you know, and she's also just a really great person, too, and has a lot of other passions that she's uh, kind of revealed after um, retiring. And so I think just having someone like her who's just been, you know, really motivating um, and powerful was really great for me growing up to to have that as like, oh, yeah, like I want to be like Sonia Riches in the 400. I mean, we, we both ran it. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's no more Sonia Richards than that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember watching her live once and she won, she dominated, and the cameras and everything was all, she was all happy. And as soon as the cameras went off, she just threw up. <laughs> I mean, that showed me how hard 400 meters is. Hilarious. Hey, it's a hard race, so I don't blame her. You got bad days sometimes, right? Even when you win. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Ivy, that was a really, really good conversation. And um, first and foremost, really, really um, thank you for um, opening up and, and sharing your story. Um, if anyone wants to get in contact with you, um, how can they get in contact? Yeah, and please do reach out. I, I love questions and conversations around mental health. Um, so you can find me on social media. Um, Ivy Watts Speaks is my social media handle. And then also my um, website is ivywattspeaks.com. If you're interested in mental health blogs, I blog every Monday about hope and positivity, my own struggle, self-love. Um, and that's beautifully simply you.com. Um, and then I recently just started a uh, mental health organization specifically for athletes called Athlete Minds Matter. Um, and so it's a platform really designed to help athletes develop their tools for success on and off the field, really everything that we talked about today, really giving them a one-stop shop, all-in-one mental wellness toolkit um, right at their fingertips. So that's Athlete Minds Matter and athletemindsmatter.com. Um, so yeah, feel free to check those out. I would love to, to stay in touch. Thank you Fantastic. very much. Guys, um, I guess the one thing that really stands out is about, you know, suffering in silence. And please, we, we should not be, you know, suffering in silence. If there is anyone that you, you trust and you would like to speak to, by all means, you know, just pick up that phone, um, wherever they are, just just know that you are you are not alone. I think this one hit me a little bit differently because although I, I can't say that mental health has, has hit me personally, but this is still something that's still, you know, close to my heart. And even you just sharing even parts of your story really, really just reignites the, the importance in myself personally of how important, you know, mental health is. So we really, really, really appreciate this. And guys, again, do, please do not suffer in silence. Um, thank you to all of the listeners, um, regular listeners, what's up? We're really happy you're still here and listening. If you're a new listener, um, welcome aboard and please um, share. Guys, this was a very, very, very good podcast. Thank you again, Ivy. Until next time, guys, stay safe, stay blessed and do not suffer in silence.